0: Hi, you are now listening to a sermon from Harvest Community Church in Hoffman Estates, Illinois. Today you will hear a sermon from Pastor Frank Pizor. So without further ado, here he is. Now I want to look at something a little bit different than what's in the bulletin. And I want to look at developing a culture of prayer at Harvest Community Church. And I don't want to just be talking about this to make you feel guilty uh, because you haven't done enough of it or you haven't attended a corporate prayer meeting for all the time that you've been here. That's not my goal today because culture is something different than just events. Uh, I grew up uh, in a church uh, after I became a follower of Christ in college. It had a Wednesday night prayer meeting. Uh, how many of you have ever been in a church like that? Anybody? Wednesday night church prayer meeting? Uh, it was a really interesting prayer meeting. We would get there, they would sing, uh, the pastor would give a message, and uh, then we'd pray for about 10 minutes in this hour-long service. And then head on out. I don't know if that was necessarily a prayer meeting. And then when I uh, got into Asian American ministry, prayer meetings really went, prayer meetings, you know what I mean? Like retreats. Like you start at uh, 9.30 after the message and then you get done around 2, 2.30. You know what I'm saying? I mean, that's a prayer meeting. That's what, what's really going on. Otherwise, anything less isn't, right? Okay, amen. is that a place for an amen? No. Those are events. And there's nothing wrong with those. Those are, are necessary and they are important. But when I'm talking about culture, I'm talking about something that is in the very DNA of who we are in the sense that when things happen, our first response is not necessarily worry or concern or strategy or whatever, but is actually a turning to God, kind of like Jehoshaphat when he would say, you know what, God, there's this vast army that has invaded our land. And you know what? I just don't know what to do, but I'm going to pray. That's a culture. A prayer that whenever you're going through something, there's that first turning to God to help get wisdom and strength to move through the event or situation that you're in. I also mean by a culture of prayer that when we get together as followers of Christ here at Harvest, it's not just talking about sports or things or issues, but that when all the talking is said and done, we turn to God and say, this is who we are. This is where we are at. But we know who you are and where you're at and we seek you That's what I mean by culture A culture that can happen when you're on the phone and you're getting ready to hang up you pray for each other A culture that when you sit down for lunch or dinner, whatever it is instead of saying thank you jesus for this food Please bless it nourish our bodies with it. Amen But actually taking time and praying for each other even during or in the midst of that meal That's what I mean by culture Now, let's turn now to what the church actually prayed for. If you would turn with me to Acts chapter 4. And I'm just going to look at two passages. Acts chapter 4, verses 23 through 31. But let me set you up with a context here first. Peter and John have healed a man lame from birth. They're going to this um, temple, and as they get to the temple, they see this guy here, and the guy says, hey, you know, give me some cash, give me some flow, like the guys you might see on 53 there. And uh, Peter and John, uh, almost like it, typical in the ministry, say, dude, we don't have any cash. But what we have, we'll give to you. We'll give you Jesus. So they grab him by the hand, and they say, get up and walk, brother. And the guy gets up, and he's jumping around, and everything's really cool. That in and of itself is a miracle. And because of that miracle, everyone's like, whoa. That guy who couldn't walk cannot walk, who did that? And so everybody rushes to talk to this guy and he says, they did it, they did it, they did it. And uh, Peter and John are like, whoa, no, 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 hold on a minute. We didn't do this. This is something that Jesus did. You know, the guy that the leaders killed and crucified and now he's risen from the dead. And uh, the leaders hear of this and they're not really happy because it's kind of like when you go to church and uh, somebody said to Hans, hey, you killed him. He might be happy, but I think the rest of us would be be like, whoa, take it easy there, you know? And that's what they're like. So what they do is they get Peter and John, and they throw them in jail for the night. And they sit in jail, and then they come out, and they talk. And the leaders say, listen, uh, we don't really appreciate that you're running around the temple saying the leaders killed this guy, Jesus. uh, So could you please stop? And uh, Peter goes, "Eh, well, you know, I'd really like to, um, but I can't. Because God has asked us to proclaim this message that not only was Jesus crucified and died and buried, but he rose again. How can you not tell people about that? So, you know, whatever you want to do, you can do, but we're going to still say this. The leader's response is pretty obvious. Like if you keep doing that, you're going to get into deeper trouble. We're going to give you a whooping or something. So we're going to let you go this time. but The next time, we're not going to be so easy. This is where the story catches in verse 23. On their release, Peter and John went back to their own people ...and reported all that the chief priests and the elders had said. And when they heard this, they raised their voices together in prayer to God. That's a culture of prayer. It's a culture of prayer. I mean, in chapter 1, all they have been doing is praying for 40 days. Which, of course, they could. Different time period. But when something bad happens... Peter and John run back to their friends, just like Daniel did in the Old Testament when he was about to lose his life. He ran back to his friends and he said, here's the situation. It's ugly. It's difficult. It's bad. Let's pray. That's a culture of prayer because they've dedicated themselves to praying. But it moves on. They begin to pray. They say, Sovereign Lord, you made the heaven and the earth and the sea and everything in them see when they pray rather than saying god here's the situation here's what's going on they say you know what you're god you know so we're going to come and we're going to pray and the first thing we want to acknowledge is that you are god you're you're above all of this you see it all you're sovereign i mean we cannot understand why 9 11 happened in a spiritual sense, as to why do people have to die? Why do good people have to die? Why do, why do husbands and wives uh, have to be separated through death? Why do, why, do, why do kids have to die? And you know what I'm saying? Why does this have to happen? We don't know that, but God is in control. We don't like something like that because it's hard to swallow, isn't it? Because it's something that's hard to tell people that God is in control when they've just lost a family member. That's difficult. But these guys in the midst of persecution say, you know, we are looking at God first. This is God, and no matter what our circumstances, he's in control. But then they move on, verse 25. You spoke by the Holy Spirit through the mouth of your servant, our father David. Why do the nations rage and the peoples plot in vain? The kings of the earth take their stand, and the rulers gather together against the Lord and against his anointed one. Indeed, Herod and Pontius Pilate met together with the Gentiles and the people of Israel in the city, to conspire against your holy servant, Jesus, whom you anointed. They begin not only just looking at God, but then they say, God, here's your word. This is what your word said about this situation, that these guys were going to do exactly what they're going to do. They're going to rage against your son, Jesus. You already knew this. And I think not only in our personal prayer times, but even in our corporate prayer times, that when we look first to God, we then should look at God's word as we pray. I think my tendency, maybe yours too, I don't know, is to look at my circumstances or even myself and confess something that is wrong that I've done so I can get things clear with God because once things clear with God, he's going to answer my prayer, right? Once that's taken care of, now I'm going to tell him what the situation is and say, God, here's what's going on rather than looking to God and his word and see what God says about my situation first. I think that makes a world of difference. Because when we begin to see who God is and what he wants to do as he speaks to us through his word. The way we pray will hopefully change. But it moves on. Verse 28. They did what your power and will decided beforehand should happen. Now, Lord. This is the great part. Consider their threats and enable your servants to speak your word with great boldness. Stretch out your hand. Wipe them from the face of the earth. Teach them what it's like to mess with you. That's what I'd like to pray. I really would. I would like to pray that. Now I've got to give you two early examples. Uh, way back in February, uh, some guy hit my car and uh, left a dent. And uh, we had a witness, but we won't get into that. And the guy said, I didn't do it. I said, what do you mean you didn't do it? <laughs> Here's my car. There's your car. You backed up, hit it, and took off. Nope. Didn't do it. Promise. Didn't do it. I was so mad. And uh, then, you know, State Farm wasn't going to do anything. And I was like, God, you know what? Really, I think you should teach this guy a lesson. Let him get into an accident. And somebody walk away and say, I didn't do it to you and let him know how it feels. He's going to write him a letter and say, you got away with it this time. But one day God will catch up to you. You know what I mean? That's I don't know what these guys are praying. We had a plumber come the other day and he charged us an exorbitant price just to rot a basement bathroom. And I had a conversation with the manager through, through email on the same thing, I just wanted to write her note and said, you know what, you mess with me, you mess with God. You're going to lose business to make up for the way you ripped me off. So when these guys are praying, I'm with them. Stretch out your hand and strike them down, right? No, stretch out your hand to heal and perform miraculous signs and wonders through the name of your holy servant, Jesus. What is that? I don't get that. These guys aren't saying, oh, Lord, this situation is horrible. They're going to throw us in jail. Well, what did Jesus say? Jesus said, you know, you're not better than me. What I got, you're going to get too. It's God's word working in their praying. And as they're praying, they're saying, you know what? If this is what we're going to get, then God, stretch out your hand and let the name of Jesus be revealed and exalted so that people see Jesus. It's going to be hard for us. They're not asking for the difficult circumstances to be removed. They're not asking for a whole new group of religious leaders who will be friendly to the cause in order that the cause of Christ might be moved on. No, what they're saying is, God, we knew this day was coming Now, give us boldness and strength to live for and proclaim Jesus. That's what they did when they got together as a corporate body, as a bunch of followers of Christ in the midst of a hostile environment. What should we pray for when we get together? We should pray for ourselves. That's what these guys did. They didn't pray for the believers somewhere else. Of course, there weren't really any, but they didn't pray for anybody else but for themselves. And they got together and they prayed for boldness and strength. Now, let me ask you a question. And this is not to make you feel guilty. So please don't feel guilty. Unless, of course, God is making you feel guilty and then don't listen to what I just said. Which I don't think he's going to because I got a point in this. How many of you have not, not been to a corporate prayer meeting for Harvest Community Church? Raise your hands. Don't be afraid. we are not going to like, shame on you. You know, like, I've only been here two weeks. Why are you filling me with guilt? No, 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 no. But if you've been here for a long time and you you haven't been to one, I'm not going to say shame on you because you know what? When I go back to Acts chapter 1, it's not like you've got nothing to do. We have a lot of things to do. There's a lot going on in our lives. Our weekends are full. Can you believe we're trying to have a men's retreat and they're planning send-offs and, uh, Bachelor parties and parents are coming into town. What is that? It's men's retreat weekend, right? Everything else should be exclusive. No, I'm just kidding. I'm seeing if you're paying attention. The idea is that's how busy life is. One weekend, tons of things are going on. To get to a corporate prayer meeting is difficult. We have one every other Friday at Harvest now. Only four of us come. Not because we're more special. Two of us because we live there. But... But we gather to pray for the church and a lot of people aren't going to come because they have community group on Friday or they live in Naperville or they have community group on Friday and they live in Crystal Lake. It's not like you can say, "What? Are you not committed?" If you're really committed, you'd leave small group early and all drive an hour to uh hour and a half to get to our house and pray together, right? Wouldn't that be the true response of what we expect of people? No, that is life. But a better thing is to say, you know what? Instead of us always gathering together at the castle or the fort, why can't we have outposts of people who pray for our church right where they're at? Why not? What would be wrong with that? These guys lived in Jerusalem, man. I mean, it's not like it was a a metropolitan Chicagoland area where they had to go for miles and miles and miles to get where they needed to get. They could develop a culture of prayer because they prayed where they were at. So you don't have to have 20 people. And this is the one thing that was bothering. It's like, why aren't 20 people coming? We'll meet later. We'll meet at 930. We'll meet at 1030. We'll meet at 11. No, the point is that you can develop a culture of prayer where the church prays for itself by people meeting right where they are at. And then you can say, now I don't have to feel guilty about not driving somewhere where I really can't get to in the midst of my busy schedule, but I can Like the early church be a part of this culture of praying and saying god do something in our church The early church didn't come back Laid on a strategy What happens when james get killed what happens when peter gets killed? No, they just came and they prayed because it was in their dna and it mattered So they prayed for themselves They prayed for themselves in such a way that that's the one thing that they kept doing and asking God stretch out your hand move in our midst. So the first thing today I want you to catch is they prayed for themselves, but we can pray for our church wherever we're at. Let's go to Acts chapter 12. What else did the early church pray for? Well, they prayed for their leaders. So they prayed for themselves and they prayed for their leaders. Let me read the first five verses of chapter 12 for you. This is after a whole bunch of things have happened. Paul's been converted. Everything's going great. Chapter 12. It was about this time that King Herod arrested some who belonged to the church, intending to persecute them. He had James, the brother of John, put to death with the sword. When he saw that this pleased the Jews, he also proceeded to to seize Peter. This happened during the Feast of Unleavened Bread. It's kind of like in the sense like, uh, and I'm not trying to um, prophesy anything, but it would it'd kind of be like, uh, let's say a government leader without p- picking a specific name today. Uh, they, they took Pastor Dave in Seattle and they threw him in prison and they said off with his head. They chopped off his head and they said, hey, well, that sounded pretty good. Why don't we get to Pastor Jared next? You like how I skipped over that? <laughs> right on. <laughs> Keep going, man. Uh, no, I'm just kidding. That's the idea. Herod goes, wow, kill one of the leaders and they're so happy. I like this. Why don't we get another leader and then throw him in prison and then kill him and then the people will really like me. This is really cool. Well, look what happens. Verse 4, after arresting him, he put him in prison, Peter, handing him over to be guarded by four squads of four soldiers each. Herod intended to bring him off for public trial after the Passover. So Peter was kept in prison. But the church was earnestly praying to God for him. See, what did the early church pray for? They prayed for themselves. God, make us bold. Stretch out your hand, do miraculous signs and wonders. And that's what happens at the, at the hands of Peter. He's going out there and all this ministry is, is growing and, and flowing and a lot of good things are happening. And then in the midst of this here, it says, you know what? This is not good. The Jews are unhappy. I want to be on their side. So we bump off James and I've got Peter and we're going to kill him. But what does the church do? The church prays for their leaders. Now skip down to verse 11. <clears throat> little context quickly. Peter, as they're praying for him, escapes from prison in a miraculous way. An angel sets him free. Verse 11, as he's out on the streets of Jerusalem. Then Peter came to himself and said, Now I know without a doubt that the Lord sent his angel and rescued me from Herod's clutches and from everything the Jewish people were anticipating. And when this had dawned on him, you know, like, I'm free, he went to the house of Mary, the mother of John, also called Mark, where many people had gathered And we're praying. There's that culture again. Peter knocked at the outer entrance and a servant girl named Rhoda came to answer the door. When she recognized Peter's voice, she was so overjoyed, she ran back without opening it and exclaimed, Peter is at the door. You're out of your mind, they told her. When she kept insisting that it was so, they said it must be his angel. But Peter kept on knocking and when they opened the door and saw him, they were astonished. Now, I know like sometimes pastors like to go, this is what's wrong with the church. These guys are praying for Peter to be released. He gets released and they're shocked. It's kind of like the uh, small town village that had a bar come into their neighborhood and the church gathered together. And I, I probably told you this before, but the church gathered together and they prayed, Lord, uh, burn the place down. And then lightning struck the place and it burned down. So the owner of the bar sued the church Because he said, you guys are responsible for my bar burning down. And the church said, we're not responsible. There's no way. But the judge in the end says, it seems to me quite obviously that the bar owner believes in prayer, but the church doesn't. (laughs) Now you all feel guilty because these guys have been doing what? They've been praying for Peter's release, right? I don't know, honestly, what they've been praying for. And I'm going to say the reason why I think they were astonished is because they really thought that Peter was going to die They weren't praying for his release. They were praying for his boldness. So that no matter what happened, like in chapter 4, as they prayed for themselves and are now praying for their leader, Peter would still be able to stand up and say, I will not turn away and betray Jesus, which was supposed to be this week's message, but isn't. But we still get it in there. But it doesn't count. Get the idea, though? They prayed for their leaders. God. Protect Peter's heart. I don't know about you. I've never been experiencing persecution that is physically harmful, but I think I would be scared. I might get to a place where I might say, well, you know what? Uh, I believe in Jesus, but uh, you know, for now, I'll just take it easy and back out of this. Or I might actually get into bigger trouble only because I've done it for so long that I don't want to embarrass myself. See all the wrong motivation. But I think they're praying for their leader. They're praying to protect his heart that he might be able to stand for Jesus. And so their astonishment is not because they expected his release, but because they expected him to be dead. But to yet stand firm before he died. I've been reading a book entitled uh, Prayer Shield by Peter Wagner. And it's an entire book about praying for your leaders, which is probably why in some ways we've switched over to what I'm talking about today, because it's been something that has been burdening me for a long time. Uh, I've been praying that God would bring into my life <clears throat> specific people who are intercessors, people who uh, love to pray, love to pray for a long time and see God bring answers and actually hear God speak to them. Uh, I can only think of one person uh, on my list that actually fits that description completely. And uh, that's it. And I'm thinking to myself, oh, God, there's only one for me. I mean, Peter Wagner has hundreds. That's not fair. Raise up more. And as I'm doing this, I'm thinking, you know what? I I I need to have more of these people in my life. And not just me, but all the leaders in our church. Our uh, Pastor Dave, uh, Pastor Jared, our elders, our community group leaders, anyone who leads our interns should be being prayed for by the church, by people who are in the church. And I want to see that happening. To develop that culture of praying for our leaders. Because as we all know, our leaders are important, right? I mean, every person is important. And like we're talking about today, um, as we're driving uh, to church, and we're talking about 9 a little bit. And we're talking about how, uh, you know, why are, right, my son, well, I'll say Tim. Sorry, Tim, I'm going to embarrass you. But, uh, <laughs> ask for forgiveness, not permission. But, you know, we're talking about 9-11. And, and, and I said, it's a, he goes, why are they reading all the names of the people who died uh, in the towers? And I said, because it's a tragedy. And he goes, all death is tragedy. Not pretty good, huh? <laughs> okay, I'm like, all right, walking theologian, baby. Um, But in that sense, there's all death is tragedy. So when I say this, if you kill a general and a private, both are tragedies. But the consequences or results are greater when the general is dead. You see, if I end up getting divorced, which I'm not planning to and I don't want to, but people can look and say, hey, he talked about having a great marriage. Look at. Or if my kids wander and stray and I get up and I start talking about how to raise your kids, there's someone sitting in the audience saying, what do you mean how to raise your kids? Your daughter's at college and she's doing drugs and she's sleeping around and all these things. Who are you to say anything? Now, I'm not saying that it's okay if it happens to anybody who's not a pastor. I'm not saying that. But what I'm saying is the results, our consequences are greater. And so we pray for the leaders because if Peter gets scared and chicken and betrays Jesus, even at this point, it reflects upon the whole movement because he's the spokesman. So our need as a church to develop that culture of prayer is not only to pray for ourselves, not meaning like I pray for myself, but each other, but also for our leaders. Because our leaders are the people who stand in front and experience more of the spiritual warfare than everybody else. Because if we're out of the way, it's a lot easier to scatter a movement. See, the early church developed this culture of prayer. That whenever something happens, they prayed. Persecution happens, they pray. More persecution happens. They pray. That's who they were. Now, I'm saying this again, not because I think that we have to have corporate prayer meetings every night. We could and we should. That would be excellent. I would like to be a part of Mike Bickle's church in Kansas Kansas City, uh, which they call International House of Prayer. And they have 24-7 around the clock praying for the church. I think that would be fantastic to be a part of, but it would be impossible for a church like us to do that and sustain that for years on end like they have. But that does not mean we cannot have a culture of prayer. I honestly believe that we can and should be praying more and we can do it right where we're at. Every small group has a shepherding elder. I want to throw something out to you as a community group leader and as a community group as a whole. Why not spend some time praying for that shepherding elder to be strengthened, to be filled with wisdom, protect them, protect their marriages, protect their families, protect their hearts, protect them, be with them, give them boldness, give them strength, give them wisdom. There's absolutely nothing wrong with that. And you can do it together when you gather together. You don't have to spend an hour and a half doing it. But you can spend that time interceding for as you intercede for one another. Even in our community groups, I've noticed sometimes the culture is, let's get together and discuss the fine points of what this passage of scripture says, and then let's deal with that for about an hour and 15 minutes and get and say, whoa, dudes, it's, it's late. Why don't we just close in prayer and we'll just give us a couple needs and we'll move on and pray. When instead, spend the time in God's word, but also spend the time praying for each other. The reason the early church had a culture of prayer is because they knew they needed God. We need God. We must pray, and we will. I think we've forgotten that we need God because we have so much else that we can actually do a lot of church and small group and other ministry and be pretty good at it, almost professional, to use the words of Paul Cho, professional at it, and yet not affect eternity. You know, when I look at the early church and I go, really? You guys really did that? I really, really just can't see that happening. I think their response would be, really? You really do ministry that way? You really think you can affect eternity in your own strength? Really? You just don't get it. And I don't think we do. But that's because we try to match ourselves With the early church, which lived in a totally different time period to the one that we live in, without us really saying, this is where we're at, but we will pray where we are at. We don't have to gather 30 people in one spot to say, now we have a praying church. That first church I was at, they had hundreds of people there, but I would not say they developed a culture of prayer. They developed a culture of fear that if you didn't come on Wednesday night, You weren't godly. That's not what I want to project today. What I want us to see is God, in relationship with His children, wants to bring us together to seek His face, to do something in and among us, and to pray for our leaders so that the influence that we have, even if it's not the greatest Willow Creek, Saddleback type of influence in the world, is eternal in the people that we meet, changing their eternal lives. For eternity. And I think that makes a difference. Because when we look at prayer as an event. And something we have to do. We miss that God is calling us into relationship as a family. In our household, even though we're going in different directions. We still like to get together as a family. Little Kaylee is always going. We don't ever always eat together. Well, you know, it's kind of hard when Christina's at college. But when she gets home, Kaylee's like, no, everybody's here. Let's eat together. She, and her voice isn't that high. She understands family. The six-year-old, out of the mouth of babes, understands family. I want to be with y'all. It's not about the meal. It's not to see who can eat the most or the quietest, but it's being together with family. And I believe God looks at his family and says, get together. Doesn't have to be 40 of you. Doesn't have to be 15 of you. It's where two or three are gathered. Now, you're wondering, okay, that's great. What do we pray? Can we flip up that prayer really quick? This is how we're going to end this. I'm going to step away. And uh, Stefan, I believe you're in charge of this. And I'm going to let you. Here's a prayer that you can get for absolutely free uh, if you want it. Uh, I will send it to you. Stefan also has it with him. But I'm just going to have us. This is something that I pray for Harvest Community Church. And uh, there's no specifics, but I just want, he's going to read through it. He's given about everybody about 20 seconds to read through it. And uh, this is how we're going to close this portion before Bobby comes up with the worship team and prays for us. Fair enough? Culture of prayer, praying for ourselves, praying for our leaders, praying wherever we are at, and resting in that, not feeling guilty, that we're not doing enough because God is calling us to be where we're at. All right. so we'll flip through these. This is a corporate prayer that you can pray for Harvest. If you want it, let me know. If you don't want it, that's fine too. Thanks for listening to the sermon from Harvest Community Church. If you would like more information or have any questions or comments, check out our website at harvest-community.org. Thanks for listening.